Welcome back to Musical Health Podcast. Um, This is Stephanie Epstein. I am back with you again for this next episode. Caitlin has gotten married and it was absolutely beautiful. We are so, so excited for her. So congratulations. Today we are back with an episode all about co-treating. Now, our next edition of the What's Poppin' in Peds newsletter from the AMTA Pediatric Workgroup is all about co-treating and working with different disciplines. So this podcast episode is kind of an expansion of the latest edition that will be coming out, either just came out or will be coming out very, very soon. So I also realized that I never really fully introduced myself during the first episode. Hopefully you caught uh, episode 29, which was let's talk about the S word, salary. If you didn't, make sure you go back and check it out. It's all about talking about the importance of being open and honest, talking about uh, salary and money and hourly rates, talking about how to negotiate getting higher rates and getting higher pay, all of the information that you're going to want to gather to present to your leadership when you are trying to negotiate better pay, as well as other things to think about, such as different benefits, um, different benefits packages, what all that means, and what all of that looks like. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure you check out that first episode. But here's a little bit more about myself. I uh, actually am not originally a Floridian. I was born and raised in upstate New York. No, not Poughkeepsie or White Plains, the rest of New York. Um, I grew up in a small town called Horseheads, which is in the Southern Finger Lakes area. And um, I went to school, I did my undergrad at Nazareth College in Rochester, New York, which is an absolutely incredible, incredible program. Um, I was actually a double major in music therapy and music education, uh, minor in psychology and a voice major as well. I did my internship at Golisano Children's Hospital in Rochester with uh, Rosie Oliva Ovi. And uh, and then I actually worked in special education for a little while. Um, Right out of my internship, I was hired by one of the BOCES schools to cover one of the music therapists' maternity leave um, January through uh, through the end of June. Um, so this was a, a, cell, um, a special education school that had everything from 411 medically fragile classrooms all the way up through full-size classrooms that were uh, dealing with emotional and behavioral um, disorders. Um, so everything from regular individual music therapy to group music therapy to adapted lessons as well as running their chorus. So that was a really wonderful experience. Um, from there, I then had applied for um, for the master's program at the University of Miami, and um, and was and was accepted and was actually accepted to be more of a teaching assistant, so teaching courses as well as supervising students because I had that education background as well. Um, from there. I actually did my graduate clinical rotation here at this hospital, at Holtz Children's Hospital. They had never had a um, a full-time or really any music therapy program here in the Children's Hospital. They had had some graduate practicum students in the past, um, but never anything established. So I did my rotation here and um, put together program proposals, and that'll be that'd be a whole nother podcast just um, talking about developing a pediatric program. And then I was hired, and I've been here for almost seven years. So I have with me Chelsea Rodriguez. She is one of the physical therapists that I work with here at Holtz. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her background. 
Hi, my name is Chelsea Rodriguez. I'm from Miami, Florida. I work here at Jackson Memorial Hospital. I've been here over seven years, um, almost going on eight years. Most of my time I've spent here in pediatrics, but I've also worked in our trauma center, our spinal cord injury rehabilitation, and neurological rehabilitation as well. Cool. So what, um, like where was you, where did you do your, your schooling, your education, all of that fun stuff? So I actually went to undergrad at the University of Florida, and then I went to PT school at NYU. Oh, I didn't know you went to New York. I did go to New York. I was That's from Miami, cool. and I just wanted to get out of Florida, and New York was calling my name, and it was a great a great school experience. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. yeah. That's funny, because I'm, I'm from New York. Oh, really? And then came down here. Oh, no way. So that's really funny. We flipped We traded places. Yeah, but I ended up down here again, so. <laughs> yeah, you come back. Yeah. You do. It was cool. How long, and were you, so when you did your... Um, was it, did you do, you didn't do a three and three program, you did like a regular undergrad and then? Yes, so all physical therapy programs, you have to do your full four years of undergrad and then you do a three year doctorate program. And then a lot of physical therapists are actually going into residencies now where they're specializing in an area of physical therapy. A lot of people are doing it. You can also get your certification, your specialty after working, you have to spend 2,000 hours in one area and then you can sit for an exam. So I'm actually working on sitting for my pediatric exam as well. Oh, that's really cool. Yes. And my sister's a PT um, and she has her like lymphedema oh, very cool. um, certification. So she yeah. does all of that stuff. Very specialized and very needed. Yeah. So. <laughs> but she does outpatient um, at a hospital, but all, all adults. Cool. Um, and then obviously all the lymphedema stuff. Um, so then, so the residency thing, this is something new that I didn't know about. How does that work? So at Jackson, we actually have a couple of residency programs available. Um, they're through Jackson and UM. Most of the, their students at UM, they get admitted into the UM residency program. And then we have a neurological one. Um, there is a cardiac and pulmonary one. Mm-hmm. There is a pediatric residency program through UM, but they're contracted with Nicholas Children's Hospital. That's... I know. I know. No shame to Nicholas, but... <laughs> Like it's literally we're UM Jackson Health System. Okay, I'm okay. I digress. Okay, we're just gonna pretend like that makes any sense whatsoever. I don't know if they're gonna do any other residencies because there's anything that you can think of: sports, geriatrics, women's health, um, orthopedics. What? Yes. That's so cool. So then, is it? Are you? So then, is it like you're you? So you've already done all your certifications. You already have your DBT and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you're hired to then work to then get the specialization? So you have two options. You either coming out of PT school, mm-hmm. apply to go into a residency, and then you get your speci- your specialization in that area. Oh. When you go through PT school, you're trained to do any kind of physical therapy. You're right, trained right. to handle an orthopedic patient, a neurological patient, and we have field work that is designed to getting those different experiences yeah, while yeah. you're a student. Someone like me, might practice for a bit. They might come out of PT school and they don't know whether they want to do pediatrics or they want to do sports or orthopedics. And they practice for a bit, get an idea of what they want to do, and then go into specialize. A lot of people end up specializing because you find an area that you really connect with and you want to become more of an expert in that area. I feel like we need that for music therapy too. Because we're the same, like our training is the same way. It's 
you learn about everything and every population, every age, and every diagnosis. And yeah, you do your, you know, your practicum is around and everything. You do your internship in a setting, mm-hmm. but then you just go out and work. Exactly. Um, and yeah, something like here in pediatrics or like in neurologic stroke rehab or, oh, yeah, we need that. Well, especially for me, that's why I think it was so good to get all those other experiences because pediatrics is not just one diagnosis. It's mm-hmm. not just neurological. It's right. not just genetic. It's everything. We have burns, traumas, mm-hmm. spinal cords, <clears throat> neuros, pedi- you know, and then NICU. you just have to, exactly, and NICU, exactly. World on top of that. Exactly. So for me, it was really good to get all the different experiences in those other areas because mm-hmm. I'm just a better pediatric therapist now because of it versus someone who's only ever done pediatrics and they yeah. haven't ever worked with those other populations. So I can see the value of doing both ways. For Me sure. personally, if I residencies didn't really exist back then when I graduated, they mm-hmm. were just starting to become a thing. You get paid, but you get paid a lot less. Yeah. So for someone who's already been out of school and been practicing, they don't want to go back into residency because imagine you're making a certain amount, you're an adult, yeah. and now you're taking a huge pay cut to do a residency program. Yeah. Or you can just get your experience, study for a test, and then get your certification. Okay, that's cool. But the residency is nice because you have mentors in each area that you yeah, go through. Well, like, it's nice. So the mentors teach you. Yeah, well, like you said, like coming out of school, being able to do something like that, it's like it's a good stepping stone between coming out of your training and before going into a, you know, quote unquote real job. Mm-hmm. Um, where you are working independently and mm-hmm. if you have no experience in that area or you know, limited experience. Exactly. Um, that's really cool. I never knew that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So I have a soft spot for PTs, um, A, because my sister is a yes. physical therapist, um, <laughs> but I also lived with three physical therapists what? throughout my undergrad. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, yeah. So I, went, I did my undergrad up at Nazareth College okay. in Rochester and they do a three and three program. So it's a, it's a six year program. Um, but at the end, you end up with your, with your DBT. Two of my roommates who I lived with for most of my undergrad were, and then I lived with another, um, another PT major um, for one of the years. So, yeah, I lived with a lot of physical therapists. <laughs> I love it. Love it. We're great. We're great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've been and I've been working with um, with PTs here, actually. So when I did my Heidi was the first PT that I met here. Yes. Because um, when I did was doing my 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 graduate clinical rotation here, my last year at UM, I was I started co-treating with Heidi with Michael. He was our thirteen year old. He had the multivisceral transplant. Okay. Um, but he and he had just gotten transplanted, so she was was of course working on you know mm-hmm. all rehab and movement mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and I think she just kind of randomly walked by one time and was like saw him just, you know, so engaged and, yeah. and singing and moving and playing. And she was like, uh, can I like, jump in on this? I was like, yeah, of course. Um, and of course we've been working together now ever since. Yes. And, um, you know, and I've gotten to work really closely with, with, with Kato. And of course we shared our first yep. pregnancies together. <laughs> um, and Jess, of course, and, and yes. you. So, so yes, I have a big love for PT. Um, so what made you want to go into physical therapy initially? So I was really athletic growing up and like most PTs are. Yes. And then I also was really interested in medicine. Mm-hmm. So I had kind of told my mom, she was like, why don't you become a sports medicine doctor? And then I was like, well, maybe I'll do athletic training. 
and someone had suggested physical therapy. So when I was an undergrad, I kind of took the time to shadow in different areas to see kind of what I liked. I started shadowing in some different um, physical therapy clinics and I really liked them. And I kind of had an idea that's where I was gonna go, but then I shadowed in a pediatric physical therapy clinic. Mm. And there was one particular patient that I felt in love with, just got super close with the family, super close with the kid. He had had this like very unique amputation from osteosarcoma Mm. and we were teaching him how to walk with a prosthetic. And after that, I was like, that's it. This is what I'm going to do. I knew I wanted to do pediatrics. I knew, I, I just knew that was it. And that's so funny. Yeah. It's so funny how, like, in talking with different, um, especially, like, therapy fields, like, we all kind of have, we all have very different stories of how we got into our fields, but kind of similar. Like, yeah. a lot of music therapists I talked to, like, yeah, I, like, was really involved in music, but I also was really interested in, like, like a lot with medicine mm-hmm. or with like neuro or like counseling and psychology mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and yeah, and I feel like a lot of PTs are, yeah, really athletic and medicine and it's like, boom, like one plus one is two. There it yes. is. It's obvious. Yeah. But that's a beautiful thing. I think when people think about physical therapy, they're like, oh, my back hurts, my neck hurts, my knee hurts. Can you help me? And it's like, there's so much more that you can do with the profession mm-hmm. that people I don't think even know about. Like, women's health is a thing that pelvic floor physical therapy that you Which, don't even... Which, oh my God, we need, like, that's a whole other podcast on all the things. It is. It is. Because when I, when I was pregnant, my sister told me, she's like, okay, you, this is going to sound really weird, but these are things you need to do. I had never heard of that. None of my doctors told me about that. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody told me. I work in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And nobody talked about that. And I was like, oh. No one things talks. that we need to know and just yeah. need to be like just part of routine care. Yes, no one talks about it. And I think it's finally, I feel people are talking about it. And maybe it's because I work in the profession mm-hmm. and I know about it. I, part of PT school, we had medical models that were women come to our classes and we practiced doing exams on them. Interesting. Yeah, and I think NYU was one of the only programs that did that. But yeah. You learn about it in a textbook, but then you don't ever see the patients. Like It's completely different. Like, yeah, but it's important because I took this really great course recently called If You Can't Breathe, You Can't Function. It's a very famous physical therapy course. Oh. But I didn't realize how much your pelvic floor is so important in your postural control and connected to your breathing and everything because everything in here, this is like your bottom valve and this is your top valve and it's huh. so important. And I didn't even realize. No. Literally I didn't did not it. even realize. It's what? crazy. Yeah. That'll be another episode. Yeah. Oh. We have a pelvic floor PT <laughs> if you want to talk to her. Really? I mean, I'm good now. Yeah. For the next, for the next one. Yeah. For the next one, we will. For but, sure. But I even know, but I, but I delivered here and no one said a word about that. She just started the program. Oh, okay. All right. Well. And now I think they're starting to refer to her. Like, I was going through today my list of, um, evals that are pending and one mm-hmm. of them was like for her it was a because they we refer pediatrics to there because kids with gi issues yeah a lot of them have pelvic floor dysfunction mm-hmm. so it's really it's a really cool area of physical therapy wow mm-hmm. that's really cool yeah oh one question that is not on my list but i feel like i especially a lot of music therapists and just people in general ask or don't know the main difference between physical therapy and occupational therapy since they can look similar in practice. Yes. So occupational therapy is focused on activities of daily living, 
what does that mean? It means, can you perform just your regular activities to get through your day? Can you dress yourself? Can you feed yourself? Can you bathe yourself? And what assistive devices do you need to do these things? They also normally, but it doesn't always have to be the case, focus on more fine motor skills. Yeah, so your you hands and things like that. Physical therapy focuses more on gross motor skills. I'm mm-hmm. talking in terms of pediatrics. We focus more on gross motor skills and some of those bigger body movements. And we also look at activities of daily living and um, but more on bigger movement. Mm-hmm. More of like the sitting, weight-bearing, walking, standing, exactly. transferring. Yes. All of that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Just because I don't know... I don't know who's, hopefully people are listening to this podcast, but whoever is listening may not know, or they may have never met a physical therapist or an occupational therapist, and so these are things that they need to know. I get that question from patients. I'm sure. Almost every day. I'm sure. What's the difference between you and the OT? Does my child need to do both? Mm -hmm. How do I know if my child needs one or the other? You know? So, it's very common. So how do how would you know if your child or you yourself need one or the other? So most of the time the doctor will physical therapy I feel is more well known than occupational therapy. Yeah. So a lot of the times the doctor will refer someone to physical therapy and I'll either review the chart and see they're not really appropriate for physical therapy and what they need is more occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. So I'll let the doctor know. Or I'll be following the patient because more often than not they are referred to us first. And I'll see things that I think occupational therapy could help the patient with. So I'll make the recommendation. I think I'll educate the parents. This is the difference. And I think you need to go see an occupational therapist for this reason. Mm -hmm. I like that you talked that you said that um, just even like the misunderstanding and misrepresentation is something that we deal with in Mm -hmm. our field, like Mm -hmm. every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Yes. So hear that, guys. Even physical therapists who everyone knows what PT is. And or has heard of PT, whereas a lot of people have no idea who we are and what we do and have never even heard of music mm-hmm. therapy. So do not lose faith because even PTs get misunderstood and get misrepresented. So stay hang in there. Guys. A lot of times. <laughs> yes, just hang in there. People are, especially at our hospital where it's a lot of residents mm-hmm. and things like that. People are still oh, training. God, so of, it's almost yeah. July first. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. For those of you not in the medical field, July first marks uh, new residents starting. So, run if you if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna go to the hospital, try not to go the first. Oh my goodness! To the hospital the first <laughs> during the month of July. Just kidding. We love you, residents. You're wonderful. Um, but yeah, boy, teacher, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so for those of you who um are also follow the pediatric work group, our next issue of What's Poppin' in Peds, which is a clinical issue looking all about co-treating and all of um clinical things, all things clinical. Um, and Chelsea was one of our interview interviewees. So you'll, you will see this. So this is one question that was on the, in the article. Um, but I also wanted you to answer on here. So what are, what is a highlight of your job and what's, um, what are some difficult parts of your job? So I'm going to start with the highlights. Yes. But I would say that some of the highlights of my job are just helping patients get back to their normal life. So a lot of kids come to us if we're in the hospital they come to us, they've been able to do something their whole life, and all of a sudden they've had an accident, they've had a stroke, they've had some sort of 
injury or surgery and they're no longer able to do the things that they were able to do before. And so I'm able to help them get strong again so that they can go home. And it's really special. And then in my outpatient setting, I'm really involved in a lot of firsts for a lot of these kids. We get a lot of these kids out of the NICU or patients Mm. born with genetic conditions. And I'm the one that's creating the motor pattern for them to be able to learn the skills that they need to do. So some of the- pressure too. I know it is. (laughs) And I tell the parents all the time, I'm like, it's not like an adult who has a stroke and now they need to relearn how to walk. I am the one teaching them how to walk. So if we don't teach them right, Mm -hmm. they're gonna learn how to do it wrong. And it's a lot of working with the parents, but they're so grateful because then when you see those kids take their first steps after they had a stroke or they were born with, you know, trisomy 21 or cerebral palsy or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And to, to have them advance, it's just very special. And just to see how grateful the families are and you really develop a close connection. So that's one of my favorite things is seeing the kids advance and also building that connection with those families because we're not like the doctors where we just come Mm -hmm. in for 15 minutes and you know, we're spending 45 minutes, an hour, maybe sometimes every day of the week, multiple times of the week, and we really develop a relationship with these patients and their families. And that's yeah. one of my favorite parts of my job. Yeah. What do you think is, e- well, I guess, it's not, I guess there's probably pros and cons to in easier, easy and hard things to each, but is it, you think that it's, is it harder for someone to relearn something or to learn it for the first time? I think it's harder for someone to relearn something because once you've learned something a bad way or once you've developed a habit, mm-hmm. it's really hard to go backwards and break it. And a lot of times too, people wanna see progress. They wanna mm-hmm. see the person moving up. And then I come in and I'm like, hey, we need to go take steps backwards to relearn how to do something to then go forwards and a lot of people don't understand that or they don't want to hear that because they just want to go back to doing what they were doing right so a lot of times we have to unlearn certain things to go forwards and it's just easier to teach it right the first time yeah yeah and it's basically (laughs) based on repetition 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 till they learn it you know which is easier, I can imagine it's much easier for a toddler, because toddlers yes. like to repeat things, so it's probably much easier for to have a toddler repeat things, you know, 50 times, than having a an older, like, school-aged child, or a teenager, or an adult, making them do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And which is why you guys help us so much. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, in pediatrics especially, it's you have to keep it interesting and you have to keep it engaging Mm -hmm. for the kid to want to do something. It's not like an adult where you can say, hey, your goal is to walk again. If you want to walk again, you need to do X, Y, Z this many times a day for this long. Mm -hmm. You can reason with an adult and you can explain it to them. At the end of the day, they're an adult and they're gonna make their decision. But a kid, you have to, it's, you can't do that with a child. You have yeah. to engage them in play, to motivate them to do something, to repeat it, to get the parent involved, to get the parent on your side, to get the parent to trust you, mm-hmm. to know that, hey, 
I'm we're gonna do this together, but I need you involved too. Yeah. So I think well, I think that's an interesting aspect of of pediatrics too is that it's not just the patient; it's yes. the it's the parents involved too, and how much. I mean, we see it that when we have parents who are really actively engaged in a positive way, because yes. there's there is the being actively engaged, but not in a helpful, positive way. Um, but we see the difference in the kids and how how not only their not only their health but their mental well being um, and their physical rehab. Yes. That the parent the parents who are involved and do trust you and aren't questioning you every step of the way um, and aren't coddling like oh well it hurts so we don't have to do this stretch we don't have to walk our laps today because it hurts well yeah it's gonna hurt and I'm not saying that that's fun and we like to hurt kids but. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be painful. But if, you know, if we have a parent telling them, you know, as soon as you leave the room, oh, it's okay, we don't have to do this right now. And I think that's one of the biggest things in pediatric physical therapy is just learning how to get the parent to be on your side. And I used to take it hard when either the parent wasn't listening or I felt like I cared more than the parent did and mm-hmm. I was trying harder and it's you know I realized that I can educate them I think the parents respond well when they see that the child responds to you yeah. so building that connection with the child I think motivates the parent mm-hmm. but then also trying to build the connection with the parent and then at the end of the day also realizing that you can do your best and at the end of the day it's the parent it's their child yeah. and it's something that you can't control. Yeah. And there's just, there's so many, there's so many dynamics at play there. Very um, much so. And like I was telling Chelsea that I'm, I, I, another episode that I'm going to do coming up is, is just being a parent and working in the medical field. Um, and that has changed my perspective so much because I, you do get annoyed at the parents like, oh, but then being a parent is so different and I'm like, you know, I mean, my daughter subs her toe, and I'm like, oh, yeah. so it's like I can't imagine having a child who is de- battling a life-threatening illness or trying to recover from a surgery or a trauma, and dealing with all of the medical stuff, and your family at home, and you're out of work, and this, and that, and your kid is miserable, and they're, or they may have been you know, fighting for their life. And now you have somebody coming in and wanting to move them and manipulate them. Like, I mean, my mama bear instinct would come out too. So it's like, yep. it's like, it's like, you know, pediatric PTs are like, have to have all the sorts of ninja skills to make it work. <laughs> to make it work. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, just like you said, I always try and put myself in those parents' place. I never push anything beyond what they're comfortable with because at the end of the day we're all a teamwork if we're not happy with each other the kid doesn't trust me the parent doesn't trust me i'm not going to get anything done oh yeah and we've seen that yeah i've had that happen to me personally yep. um but i've also had a lot of patients that i've had success with and built relationships with yeah. and you know, they're like, oh, we'll only work with Chelsea and yeah. not the other therapist. <laughs> so, you know, you just have to, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. What are some, speaking of difficult, what are some difficult, what have been some difficult parts of um, 
your job and your role here. So I think you kind of just alluded to it. Yeah. When parents see their kids in pain or when kids are in pain and we're asking them to move, it is very difficult to do something that you know is hurting the patient yeah. in the moment because you know that it's good for them in the long run. It's still difficult mm -hmm. to cause that pain in the moment. Yeah. And the most difficult part of my job is just losing yeah. patients that I develop a relationship with yeah. or progressively um, seeing them get weaker and things like that. We mm -hmm. get kids with um, spinal muscular atrophy or muscular dystrophy, which is a progressive neurologic condition. So seeing kids that could once walk now start losing the ability to walk having to talk to parents about the fact that their child needs a wheelchair almost every mom cries oh, it, yeah. it's and it's hard because I'm not a parent but as a parent you have all these hopes and dreams for your child and it doesn't look like yeah. that um so that I would say is just some of the hardest parts of my yeah. job there's a lot of grieving that in in that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about grief, we talk about, we just think of death and dying, but, um, yeah, you just hit the nail on the head that there's just that, you have this vision of what your child's life is going to look like, and when that's going to be different, there's, no, they're not dying, but there's still a, a sense of loss and grief that I feel like we don't really work, we don't really address that. There's a big sense of loss and from a physical therapy perspective, recommending a wheelchair for a child is actually giving them some form of independence. If mm -hmm. the child is cognitively intact, they're not able to walk, but now I'm giving them a power wheelchair. Yeah. The smile on these kids' faces and most of the times the parents are upset, but then when they see their child being able to move without assistance, they're in a chair, so they need an assistive device, but right. now they're independent. They don't need their parents physically to help them. Yeah. It, it A lot of times they come around, and again, that's building that relationships with those families mm -hmm. over time where they trust you and they know that you have their child's best interest at heart. You're not trying to take away their child's mobility. You're actually trying to give them mobility, independence. That's a really important perspective and a really important way to look at it. Yeah. When you were talking about, um, you know, doing these things and, and you know, mm -hmm. quote unquote causing pain. And I think that's a really difficult part of Pete working with kids versus working with adults. Cause adults, again, you, yeah, you can rationalize mm -hmm. like, yeah, this hurts, but we have to do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like I talk about this a lot, especially with our, um, parents are like our burn population. Yes. Um, that comes to mind. Because, that, yeah, oh, yeah. Because, you know, kids are, kids, especially younger kids, are still very black and white. They're still very concrete thinking. They don't have that abstract, that rationalization. And, you know, we teach kids from a young age, if something is, is hurting you, don't do it. If someone mm -hmm. is hurting you, get away from them. Mm -hmm. Tell an adult, like, disengage. But now we're doing these things to them that are is hurting them mm -hmm. and telling them, it's okay, it's okay, we have to do this to make you better. And yes, as adults, we can 
we can work that out in our minds, but a child can't. They're not there yet yeah. developmentally and neurologically and cognitively. So it's so difficult for children to understand that and to get them to do these exercises and hold mm-hmm. these stretches and hold this position, these positioning. Um, and of course, as if the parents aren't, you know, educated and specialized in child development, because how many really are in the no. general public, not yeah. a whole lot, um, that's really difficult for A, to get the kid to engage in it, but B, to get the parents to understand. So I think like there's there's so much education yes. that goes into yes what, what you do every day. And a lot of times my first session with someone, I might not do anything that's traditional physical therapy. I might just play, mm-hmm. you know, until I get them to feel comfortable. And a lot of times, maybe my goal is for them to sit and I'll engage them in a toy and then they won't realize they're sitting. Yeah. You know, so that's the difference between phys- the pediatrics and adults is mm-hmm. we're still achieving our goals just using play to help us because yeah. you can't rationalize with them, like you said. Right, right. And then also, I always make sure that whatever pain medication they need, they're on board. Mm -hmm. If they haven't napped, I'm not going to push it, you know, make sure that, you know. (laughs) You have to deal with all of that. Adults, I think, can be even crankier when we're tired and hungry. Yes, definitely. They kind of become the same monster. (laughs) They do. They definitely do. (laughs) I always say that I I would much rather deal with I'd rather deal with 30 kids at once than five adults. Because... <laughs> um, when did you first learn or hear about music therapy? I feel like I probably learned it around the time I started in pediatrics here, maybe seven years ago, because I've been working here a little bit over seven. Mm-hmm. And um, I rotated into pediatrics around seven years ago. So but I right around when I started. Probably around the time you started. Yeah. Um, but I think that's around the time that I heard about music therapy. I had never learned about it before then. Mm. I didn't hear about it in undergrad. I never heard about it in grad school. And that's crazy because NYU has a huge um, master's and doctorate music therapy program. Like, really? Yeah, music therapy. Up, like, I still didn't up, know that. Up around <laughs> NYU is huge. Really? Yeah. Well, I did my pediatric internship at a school it was in the Bronx at one of the United Cerebral Palsy schools Hmm. in the Bronx so everyone there was great but we didn't have a dedicated music therapist yeah but yeah no I'd never really heard about it till I started working here yeah I feel like it's I feel like for music therapists too like that that interdisciplinary collaboration is so important from learning about it from and practicing it from the training level because you're yeah. going to go into the field and be expected hopefully be expected to work on an interdisciplinary team so where i did my undergrad mm-hmm. up in nazareth this is gonna be a little this is gonna be a little shout out commercial for nazareth right now um <laughs> they have this it opened maybe only a few years ago this huge like multi-million dollar state of the art i'll show you pictures multi um state-of-the-art rehab building Oh, wow. On campus, there's physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, music therapy, art therapy, play therapy, nursing. Wow. Great. And so it's their clinics. So, like, you know, the general public is coming in and out. There's huge, like, a huge rehab gym there. Mm-hmm. So 
so you know some of the a lot of the the faculty work like do clinical work there but the students are also there for their practicum rotations and they're working with other disciplines like the undergrad music therapy students are co-treating with the undergrad physical therapy students mm. at the same like, so from right from their training they're learning how to do these things and work with all these other professions and and integrate each other's therapies into sessions right right there just right on campus i'm like it's amazing that's beautiful so and i think we should probably do that here more now that you're saying this because we also our pt students get graded on how well they interact with other disciplines and mm -hmm. so they have to have those opportunities and a lot of times in our setting we're just kind of like okay well they you know we're able to work in a team with occupational therapy and in our rehab center we do have recreational therapy mm -hmm. so they have that opportunity there but yeah. you know and speech therapy but it would be great to kind of incorporate music therapy into our students as well for sure yeah i mean like with my so well, I know with your our, students come our, to us. Yeah. yeah, with our practicum students. Um, I've had a couple of my practicum students um, at the under, at the undergrad level do, like, part mm -hmm. of it. They're, they're co-treating when I was, well, this was also when I was, you know, like, seven, eight, nine months pregnant. Um, Caro and Jess and I would, we were all do within a month of each other, so we would just, we would kind of waddle into the room <laughs> and let my students take take over to go treat with, remember with that. PT. I remember that. Um, but that's a big part of our, of the internship program here too, yeah. is, um, is co-treating with physical, um, and occupational therapy. I have all my interns observe and shadow PT, OT, speech, psychology for a day or half day. Um, so they can just see what they do. So that's a big part of my training program here, but, um, I know yeah, you do that, and I always love that. We should, yes, too. I need to work it into our training program. Right, we will do that. <laughs> yes. So if you, if you listeners out there do not already work co-treating into your training programs for your practicum students or interns, do that now, because it's important. It is. So what do you, what do you want music therapists to know about co-treating with you guys? Because, you know, most likely, people who are listening to this may have very limited experience or no experience in co-treating. So I think before even going into the patient's rooms, you should figure out what the goals of co-treating are. A lot of times when we've worked together, I'll either approach you or you approach me and I'll say, hey, Stephanie, I have a patient that I'm having a really hard time motivating. Mm -hmm. They're having a lot of pain. They're really scared. They really enjoy music. Um, my goal is for the patient to put more weight through their legs. How do you think we can work this out, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things for you listeners is figuring out what are the mutual goals. Because for co-treating, a lot of times you help us and you're still achieving your goals as well. So mm -hmm. if we figure those out beforehand, we can create a better plan for the patient for and sure. be more successful. For sure, definitely. Um, we so like what like what tips like insider tips do you have for like students or into interns or like newer music therapists some insider tips about how to co-treat with yeah. physical therapists yeah co-treating yeah so i think if a newer therapist could come up and say hey what are you working on with this patient and just ask me you know and or say 
I've worked with this patient before. They really like this song. Um, why don't we do this, you know? Or Because you guys, a lot of these patients, you've individually worked with them before and I've individually worked with them before. So even yeah. ask what's worked, you can ask what's worked for you before, what's worked for this patient before, and then make it that way so that you're better equipped to work with the patient. So here are, so for those of you who either, um, if it's not out yet, then I'm giving you a special preview. If it is out and you haven't read it, then I'm repeating what they were. Um, so these are tips and tricks that, that I had written for okay. people. Um, so very similarly, you said always asking what the goals and objectives are that you're trying to target. Um, and <laughs> helping them feel like you are, are on their team because newsflash, you are, mm -hmm. um, is helpful. So I know sometimes, you know, as music therapists, we're always feeling like we're defending ourselves at all times because we always like are feeling like people are not understanding what we do or not believing what we do or are discrediting us. And so we're always very like, I need to prove myself and I'm going to stand my ground and I'm not going to back down. And it's like, no, you're you, so sometimes I sometimes see like, you know, when we're co-treating, we are co-treating. It's not that it's a physical therapy session and I'm assisting or a music therapy session and physical therapist assisting me it is a co-treating session. You are both the therapists and you are there helping each other. So um, making sure that, like Chelsea said, asking, hey, what do you need them doing? What positioning do you need them in? What movement do you want them to be doing? And and then, so figuring out what, what they need to be doing and then figuring out, okay, so now as the music therapy expert here, how, how can I incorporate music into this? Um, am I using it as a motivator? So are we, do we just need to be walking and we just need to be kind of jamming out and laughing and having fun? Which we've done before. Which we have done. We have had parades. Many and, parades, yeah. our princess parades. Yes. Do they, are they needing to be do a certain movement where they need to move their leg, you know, they need to um, raise their leg from a 90 degree angle up to, up to straight. So how can we do that with music? So we can put a tambourine up on the one end and then put a wind chimes behind their heels. So they have to give, you know, we use our instruments as targets for them to mm -hmm. hit. And then of course, you know, sing music along in the background to help give them, give them that auditory feedback and give them a target to reach for. Cause that can be a lot easier. Is it, are they going to be doing, needing to do stretches? So they need to relax and they need to be holding their positions longer. So, you know, probably wouldn't be doing like some crazy upbeat stuff. Maybe be doing more relaxing music to help them relax, help them zone out, taking them through deep breathing exercises. So again, that's, you know, the importance of knowing what the goals and objectives are um, is just, is just so, so important. Trying to be um, present or invested in rounds or care huddles for these patients, especially interdisciplinary models, yes. because that's where you're going to be getting the information. We've actually been trying to be better about doing rounds as well mm -hmm. um, for our patients with the team in the PICU, especially because oh, like going around like in like during like the actual medical rounds in the morning. We used to try and do separate rounds at the at one day a week just with the fellow or something like oh, that cool. and just kind of but we kind of fell off and I'm not in oh. East Tower yeah. that much anymore so. and also trying to nail them down sometimes exactly 
exactly. But there is a lot of these patients that we have medical questions for. Oh, absolutely. And what are the indications, the contraindications? Can they get out of bed? Are they too fragile to get out of bed? What does the team specifically want? And that's why communication is so yeah. big. Well, especially like our like our patients with like TBIs and strokes yes. and like or tra- any traumas. Like sometimes like they have to be at a certain angle yes. and they can only be sitting up for a certain amount of time because otherwise they're going to have a hemorrhage. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's mm-hmm. those really important medical yes. things that you, 100%. that you need to know. 100%. Making sure that you're following up. So, you know, I know I, pro- I always feel like I'm probably annoying the you know what out of our, you know, our PTs and OTs here because I feel like I'm always like texting them or chasing them down like, hey, what are you doing today? What are you doing today? That's not like I'm like that like little fangirl like following like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Can I come? Can I come? Um, But it's not. I mean, you're not like Chelsea just said, you're not bothering them. It's like, you know, we all have insanely busy schedules. A lot of times, especially like our PTs here, they have inpatient and outpatient. So they have scheduled sessions outpatient. So they're, they know that their patient is coming mm-hmm. at a time mm-hmm. and they come over and try to cover their inpatient in between. Yes. So they may only have those 45 minutes over here. So they may not be able to always schedule things with you or be able to call you beforehand, like right yes. you now beforehand because they have 16 patients on their caseload and they have to try to get it done. So just you know establishing rapport with with a therapist that you work with is so important and so that you can follow up with them and shoot them a text and be like hey who are you seeing today or hey like i know a lot of like our infants and toddlers it is a lot easier with like especially like for me like seeing them for a music therapy session but if i can see them with pt or ot it's so much better because a there's another person's hands there to help them hold the item hold the instruments and manipulate mm-hmm. the instruments mm-hmm. Whereas if it's just me, either I'm playing guitar or ukulele and I don't have a hand, I don't have, I'm not able to do hand over hand, um, or I'm not able to use my, I mean, I just have to sing acapella because they have to have hand over hand. Yeah. And now you're taking away the accompaniment instrument that could be used as a cue, as a motivation, as, you know, to help elicit the, the movement that you're looking for. So especially with those little ones, I, nine times out of 10, I would prefer to co-treat with them. With them. Yeah. Um, because I, so many other goals are, are physical in nature. They need to be sitting up. They need to be reaching, grasping, manipulating, localizing, maybe standing, weight bearing. Yeah. Tolerating tummy time. I think of like Danelia. Yes. Um, yes. But to piggyback on you on that. <laughs> yes, yes, please. Because you I'm said gone. something that, that triggered me. <laughs> I think a lot of times for physical therapists, sometimes we need extra hands. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it might not be skilled extra hands. Not that you guys aren't skilled, but a lot of times we go to occupational therapy and we might not need the occupational therapist there. We might just need like the nurse or something like that. But Mm -hmm. even using you guys sometimes because you guys are skilled to help us Mm -hmm. they're kind of trying to discourage us from co-treating with occupational therapy because then the billing gets the cbo yeah complicated yeah but yeah i mean there's tons there's been tons of co-treating sessions where yeah you are helping like 
doing physically things. One the other, like you said, let's physically say that, things, yes, the physically things. Physically I love things. it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times, let's say the patient needs support to sit, but we want to work on sitting and reaching, then mm-hmm. I can help with the sitting and then you can help with the reaching to play the instrument yes. or something like that. Yes. And I, and it, it works vice versa too, because there's been tons of patients that we've worked with that are sitting and if we're working on reaching and grasping and crossing the midline, having the PT help hold instruments mm-hmm. up because, you know, once they've got them sitting positioned, mm-hmm. that's great. So, and if I'm playing, playing an instrument, playing an accompaniment instrument, but I want them to be hitting different drums or moving the drums around for them to have to mm-hmm. reach and navigate and motor plan, I can't do that with only two hands. So... That works vice versa. So mm-hmm. music therapists, take advantage of your physical therapist's hands. Yep. Um, and then also, the, the, the other really good thing about doing something like that, because you guys, you know where you want them reaching and grasping and moving to. Yes. So I can just give you the, the paddle drum that they need to be hitting. And I'm like, okay, just do what you need them to do. Yes. And to give you an example of that, let's say someone is just learning how to reach you'll start by maybe reaching to a point where they're just able to free their one hand mm-hmm. off their lap or off the support surface to hit. Now let's say they can free both hands, right? We're work, we've been working with them, they're able to free both. Then we might start to work on some weight shifting. Can they free their hands to shift their weight, hit the object and come back into the middle without falling? Mm-hmm. Can they, and so object placement is so important and it might seem arbitrary to someone else, but each time I'm doing something, I have a very specific goal in mind and a specific sure. reason why I'm doing it. And I think also from a physical therapy perspective, a lot of these patients, we work with them for so long that we start to run out of ideas to keep it like fun and fresh. Yeah. So when we work with you guys, it's really fun for us too because we might have gotten to this point with the patient where we're like, gosh, I'm just having like a really hard time. I'm playing the same games with them. I'm doing the same things. Like, mm-hmm. what can I do to make this more fun for them? And mm-hmm. then you guys come in and you guys have all these ideas and we see how much fun the patients have, how excited yeah. they are to participate. Our goals are being met, our mutual goals. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's very exciting and it's awesome to see. It's fun. Yes, it's very it's fun. fun. Like, very fun. So many I've like so many PTs I work with. I think sing louder than the kids do. And they like to rock out. <laughs> we never get to hear those songs, so we love to to hear them. You know, I always love going onto one of the floors and hearing you guys singing, or like impromptu like concerts in the PICU. It's always yeah. so nice. Music is. I love music. So yeah. <laughs> we talked about movement directed goals. Ooh, here's another really, um, another thing to think about is thinking about what kind of instrument you're using. So it's not enough to just grab an instrument. You need to think about, and again, this is where it comes, comes into talking with the, with the physical therapist and what movement do you need them to be doing? What can they do now? And what do you need them to be doing? Because if you have a patient with maybe, you know, they need to be reaching, but they're not, they don't really have the strength yet to be able to hit a drum because to hit a drum you have to have a little bit of force behind it to get a sound and that's the point why we're using an instrument is to get that auditory mm-hmm. feedback so if they're able to maybe touch the drum that's great but they're, they don't have enough strength to hit it so they're not going to be able to make a sound and that's 
that can be frustrating. So, in and that could then limit their motivation and make them not want to work as hard. Mm-hmm. So, in that example, you're doing more harm than good as the as the music therapist co-treating. So, thinking about what kind of instrument. If they, if in an example like that. I would use something more like a wind chime mm-hmm. that has that very, um, you know, like automatic auditory feedback reaction, you know, with this, you know, they touch it and they get that feedback. Whereas if you have a patient that you are working on those strength goals, um, you would use something more like a drum or a tambourine so that they do have to hit it harder in order to get that feedback. So thinking about what type of instrument you're using. Um, and think about utilizing the rhythm and tempo, especially to cue your movements. Let's say that we're working with um, a, a patient who is is working on shifting their weight. So and so maybe they're kind of swaying a little mm-hmm. bit. I wouldn't play a song with a really strong downbeat mm-hmm. because that would be more appropriate for walking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might play something in more of a triple meter or a like, you know, kind of that swaying waltzy pattern with maybe a more of an arpeggiated accompaniment versus I'm probably speaking Japanese right now. Yeah, I have, I'm just like, <laughs> wow, wow, I've never heard this before. Um, it's great. But using more of an arpeggiated accompaniment pattern rather than like a really strong downstrum because we, we, we want we want to use the music to be eliciting the movement and reflecting the movement. So that's really important um, when we're talking about, as a, as a music therapist, when you're thinking about, and you're gonna be co-treating, okay, so you talk to them, you got the goals, you know what they need to be doing, and now what are you going to do as the music therapist to help support and help elicit that movement? So thinking about that is really, really important. Talking to the kid, don't assume that you know, and, and this is kind of an across-the-board thing in music therapy anyway, that, you know, don't walk in and assume you're going to know what kind of music they like mm-hmm. um, because you're probably going to be wrong and you're going to be embarrassed. And you've just lost the trust with the client, with the patient. Yeah. Um, you know, finding out what they like and doing your research and finding out what they want. And if they come in and they have, like, I'm, I'm thinking of um, uh, Pedro mm-hmm. a, a, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was like a huge Star Wars fan. I know that I cannot, you know, elicit the same response to the Darth Vader Imperial March <laughs> on the guitar. It's not going to happen. So, you know, I brought, so we brought in the recorded, the, you know, this, the recording of it and used that for his marching around uh-huh. the rehab building. So he marched around to Darth Vader. Um, but we all, but then like we would put like bells around his ankle mm-hmm. to get that feedback so that he mm-hmm. had to stop, he had to step with a certain force to get it. So, you know, yes, you know, we always say, oh, live music, live music. Yes, do live music as much as you can because then you can manipulate, you know, everything about it the rhythm, tempo, the accompaniment, everything. But sometimes it's, it's not always the end all be all. We can, you can, it's okay to utilize recorded music. That's gotta have different tools in your toolbox. Different tools. Um, so another thing I had was using the song as a timer. Oh, so that's a good one. so talking. So again, talking with the with the PT and figuring out okay, how many times do they need to do this movement, or how long do they need to hold a stretch? How long do they need to hold a stretch for? Because telling a kid, okay, we just need to hold this stretch, that's a very arbitrary amount, mm-hmm. of, or even saying thirty seconds. Okay, counting from one to thirty 
it's not always fun. But if we can say, okay, so we, we're going to hold this stretch until the end of this verse or until the end of this chorus. Yeah. That's a much more tangible, a much more concrete time. And if they like the song, then it's, you know, it's distracting. Yeah. And I also want to piggyback on that, giving patients control. A lot of these patients, mm-hmm. they used to have control of their body or the situation, and now it's something some sense of control has been taken away from them so if you give them some control over their body or the stretch or how long they hold it and work with them but give them some control it's going to help the patient a lot and you're going to get more of what you want as well that's really that's really really important and piggybacking off of your piggyback giving them the giving them choices when it comes to instruments too okay, do we want to use the tambourine or the drum this time? Do we want to use the shakers or the bells? Or, you know, giving them those those choices so they can mm-hmm. at least feel like they have some sense of control, some sense of... Yeah, because a lot in the hospital, a lot of things are happening to you and you have no control over it. So yes. instead of just doing something to them, give them some control in a way that's fun for them. Mm-hmm. Do it with them. Exactly. Not to them, do it yes. with them. Yes, that's good. Also, so another way that we can utilize with co-treating is using music during breaks. So, mm-hmm. you know, they've been standing for a while and they get a chance to sit down and relax. So, okay, so let's take a look. Let's take, you know, we have a three-minute break. So great, that's enough time for one song. So let's sit here and we'll sing a song that you like. Or, you know, we'll do music assisted relaxation for a few minutes. We'll practice deep breathing to get them back down into a calm, calmer, relatively, hopefully, a calmer state to get them back down to their baseline so they can get ready for the next exercise. Because if they're still, you know, if their anxiety is still up, if their pain is still up, and they're just, their level, their base level is, you know, through the roof, mm-hmm. you're not, they're not going to be able to really do anything, mm-hmm. what they need to do when you're going to start the next, the next exercise. So, you know, we can use music therapy as a co-treating in that too. It's a great idea. Oh, here's where things, things to avoid. Okay. Avoid bulldozing. So remember, yes. remembering that you are there to co-treat, you're working with them and kind of going along with that is being in the way physically. So yes, asking questions as you go, you know, where do you need to be? Where do you need me to be? Where's the best place for me to be? Because, you know, especially when it comes to like transfers, like sit to stand, stand to sit, moving to the bed, to the chair, it, you know, those can be very critical times. They are very critical times because that's a lot of times where the patient's at a biggest risk for falling mm-hmm. or if you don't make sure your lines are okay you can pull a line and yes. things like that so as a physical therapist I do need people's help sometimes but I've also learned how to direct the room to get it so that I make sure that we're doing whatever is safest for the patient in that moment mm-hmm. so yeah so just always asking the physical therapist what can I do? What do you need me to do? Exactly. Where do you need me to be? Where can I help the most? Because um, the last thing, again, the last thing you want is to be... Um, a lot of people really want to help, but then they end up getting in the way. Yes. So it comes... You have good intentions. Mm-hmm. I want to help. But then 
you're just in the wrong, you're trying to help, but you're in the wrong place. Yeah. So just asking if someone doesn't tell you is, is good. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be a li- li- liability. Exactly. Yeah, there's enough going and on. And I don't want anyone else <laughs> to get hurt either. Exactly. Exactly. But also being present. You know, you are there as a music therapist, as a co-therapist. You're not a jukebox. So, and you know, and yes, sometimes we sometimes we are there as the music because, you know, they're singing. But... And this comes down to the therapist a lot too, making sure that you are advocating, you are actively involved in the session. Um, sometimes it can it can be intimidating to work with other disciplines, and you know sometimes when that happens, we can, we can shrink into the background, like okay, well I'm just gonna sit here and I'm just gonna do mm-hmm. this. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not you know you're there as a co-therapist, and and you're not a jukebox, you're not an iPad or an iPod. Exactly, um, I was gonna say used used to be you know you're not a CD player, but that's outdated <laughs> now. Um, <coughs> iPods are too. Sorry. To, I know. I sorry got, to tell you that. As soon as I said it, I'm like, as soon as I said it, I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm dating myself. It's fine. It's fine. But you know, but, but being present and being actively involved. So do you, I want, I want to hear kind of from you kind of to our last little bit. What are some like stories or vignettes or memories that you have fond? Well, we'll, I'm sure there are a lot of many disasters that you can tell, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, just I mean, what are you know some success stories that you've seen, you know, co-treating with with music therapists? Um, I think the the biggest one that comes to mind is a child who was having a hard time weight bearing, and you brought mm-hmm. a floor piano for them. Yeah, and I was having them really hard time getting them to put weight through one of their legs. And you brought a floor piano and we were able to stand them up at the bedside and get them to just start putting their foot down on the ground to be able to just kind of get some weight through that leg. And that's one of the moments, I mean, the biggest one that stands out to me. And then there's just been a lot of other ones where there's been kids who maybe had a stroke and they can't use their left arm as much so we've worked on engaging in a way to use their left arm because like you said it can be frustrating if your arm doesn't move like it used to move Mm -hmm. and now i'm asking you to move it but i'm asking you to do a boring task maybe i'm asking (laughs) you to brush your teeth or i'm asking you to pick up a cone from the floor or you know like something boring you know Mm -hmm. and and music is a really fun way to kind of engage these kids and and motivates them to use that arm. I think other kids where they've been really overwhelmed or scared and music kind of helps calm them down or it keeps their mind kind of distracted so that they can then focus on the physical task that I'm asking them to do. Mm-hmm. Parades, you know, motivate yeah. a kid to get out of bed. It's super boring to just be like, okay, we're going to go walk five laps around the unit. No, hey, let's do a parade. Let's, you know, I'll do hide and seek a lot with my kids, but there's only so many times you can play hide and seek, you know, (laughs) only so many things I can hide in the unit, you know? Yeah. So just kind of have that. And if music engages them or, or you guys have different toys than we do, it's just Mm -hmm. really nice. And like I said, I think at the end of the day, just seeing the smile, on kids' faces, yeah. that for me is, and the families is like everything. It's why I do my job. Yeah, I always love when we're in a session, and the kid does something that they've never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only, but like, and especially like for, 
like for me as a music therapist, being able to like have the PT be like, oh my God, they've, they've never, never done, done that, that before. Yeah, or, or they've like, always cried while yeah. I'm making them do this and they're actually doing it without crying and they're happy yeah, like, and they're the enjoying it. Ever. Yes. I've never seen them be yes. able to work for this long mm-hmm. or to do that. So like, that's one of like my big, I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> moments. You know, so yeah, we, we've, we've said the, our, our parades a few times. So we had, cause I have to like, I have to describe this. Cause Great. Yeah. Just awesome. So we had for, for a while, we had a couple girls right around the same age on our transplant, a solid organ transplant floor. And they were all our little princesses. So we would have, and they all needed to be walking mm-hmm. up and walking and moving, and none of them wanted to because it hurt and it was awful. So we would have princess parades like every day, every other day. We, I would pull out all of my like, because you know, obviously I have a barrage of tutus and sunglasses and flowers and accessories because you know why wouldn't I? <laughs> um, so I'd pull out all of my accessories and everyone would get dressed up including the the PTs and the parents and I us and the nurses and everyone would get dressed up. We would do princess parades and we would sing every Disney song you could ever think of and before we knew it we had been marching around the unit for a half hour 40 mm-hmm. minutes you know, the kids had no idea because it was just fun. Mm-hmm. And the nurses would all cheer and the kids who were in their rooms would, you know, who couldn't come out of their rooms would be, engaged. be sitting up and watching and looking. We would give them shakers to play as we came around. Yes. So it was just, it was just a lot of fun. And I think it just happened, like it ended up like happening, like the first time we just happened like really organically and yeah. randomly. But I think also that's the beauty. Like you said, like you text us in the morning and just say, hey, and then, and when you start to get that organic stuff that happens like that and it it's you know it mm-hmm. wor- ends up working out yeah sometimes I'm talking for a while i know <laughs> i know it's awesome though what are is there any final tidbits or things that you would want listeners to know i think if you guys don't co-treat already in your hospitals you 100% should i know that for me I think it just helps the patient and everything in medicine right now is interdisciplinary care. It's going to be what's most important for the patient. It's we're all here for the patient. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to ask for help, to co-treat, to do what you can to, to just help the patient, you know? And I think a lot of times I'll see someone and I'll say, Hey, I just evaluated this patient. They don't have a music therapy order yet, but they told me mm-hmm. they love music. Let's mm-hmm. get you guys involved and vice versa. And I think once you that establish that rapport with your team, it's really nice to have that sort of interdisciplinary care. And I think it helps the patients as well. Oh, absolutely. And they appreciate it. Yeah. Well, they may not always appreciate it because they have the parents therapies, do, but they'll, they'll appreciate it in the long run. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but those are my final parting thoughts. I don't well, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me this afternoon. You're welcome. And for talking to our listeners. I'm going to say all of our listeners, hoping that we'll have lots of listeners. We'll find out. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Steph, for having me. This has been a pleasure. And also kind of learning the way that you were talking about the music and the tempos and all of this was really interesting for me as well to hear because we have our goals too and and Mm -hmm. I always have to teach students the toy that you choose matters your tone Mm -hmm. of voice matters 
whether you want to excite someone, whether you want to calm them, whether you want how you put your hands on the patient, deep pressure, light touch, things like that. And then to see how you guys are using music to kind of do these things was really interesting for me to hear because I actually didn't even realize all of that. So I learned something new today. Well, and I learned a lot. I mean, just yeah. like you were talking just like all the different. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's one, that's one of another, I have a lot of favorite parts about co-treating, but it's one of, one of the things that I love so much about working with you guys is how much I learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, next time you guys see, a, whether it's a physical therapist or an OT or speech or anyone ask questions because they have a whole set of expertise that we have no idea about and the more you the, I feel like we need like the more you know music like do, 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 do. <laughs> the more you know you know the better your practice will be the better you can understand what goes into things um so whether whether it's while you're co-treating or whether you're seeing the patient on your own the more that you know and you can understand these things the better your practice is going to be um, and it is just interesting just to learn about their areas of expertise. So, yes. you know, ask questions. Don't be afraid. All right. Thank you, Steph. Thank you. All right. Well, I want to thank Chelsea again so much for hanging out with me and having um, some wonderful, wonderful conversations. I hope that this episode helped you guys. I hope that it gave you some knowledge in terms of physical therapy in general, but also co-treating with physical therapy and other occupations in general. And that's what I got for you. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I will catch you for one more episode that I'll be doing a takeover. And then I will be handing you back to Caitlin. Have a good one, guys.